Hello and welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for the week of December 6th, 2017. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I'll be your host today and I'm joined as always by my co-podcasters. First up on the line from Chicago, we've got 538 sports writer Chris Herring and in studio, our fellow 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner. What's up guys? Hey man. How you doing? Good. How are you? You ready for the holidays? I guess we had one already. Always ready for the holidays. You know, um, yeah, next week is going to be a very special episode in which uh, y'all two have to figure out what to do without me because I'm going to be soaking up the sun in Disney World of all places. Uh, Got roped into going there with my family, so that should be good. On today's show, uh, we got a big show today. We're going to talk about James Harden and the Red Hot Houston Rockets. Should the Beard finally win his first MVP? And more importantly, maybe, do the Rockets have a legit chance this year to dethrone the Golden State Warriors? We're also going to bring you a small sample on the NBA's recent spate of superstar ejections. Whether that means anything or not, we'll see. But first, let's hit the headlines. And uh, the biggest headline in the league, I think, right now at this moment, is a team that some of us were kind of worried about, panicked about, uh, maybe as recently as two weeks ago. That would be the Cleveland Cavaliers. Seems a little silly now after the Cavs won their 12th straight game on Monday night. LeBron James, of course, continuing to play as well as he ever has so far this season. He's averaging 28 points per game, 8.5 assists, and 7.9 rebounds while shooting 64% on two-pointers and 42% on threes. Both of those are career highs. Uh, LeBron has been so good this year that people are suggesting this might be his best performance ever, and that's saying something in a career that's basically been a laundry list of the greatest individual seasons in NBA history. So what do you guys think? Is this the peak LeBron that we're seeing right now, week shy of his 33rd birthday? No. No? No, no. no You're not going to make it's, the it's, case? It's just not. I, I just wrote You the, wrote a story. I, uh, as we're recording this on Wednesday, my piece just went up about uh, LeBron. He's still getting better. He's still getting better in like really surprising ways. Uh, but no, like that 2012-13 <laughs> season is, is preposterous. Okay, so that's your that's um, your your vote for the best LeBron season ever. Yeah, I, I would say it's not too close. Uh, but, okay, uh, you guys might might disagree there. <laughs> okay, what do you think, Chris? I totally agree with Kyle. Normally we don't, but the the Miami era that he had there, I think we kind of tend to forget how great it was because one, he didn't have to do as much in that situation, and so his numbers were probably down in some ways having to share the ball with Dwayne Wade and obviously still trying to figure out how to play with him and Chris Bosh. But now he's in a situation where given the injuries on that roster, given them trying to replace Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas still not being there, Derek Rose being Derek Rose, he's had to do more. And on top of that, he's done a lot of things that he hasn't been great at all the time better. And so I think more than anything, some of it is out of necessity that he's had to do this, especially given how horrible they were playing at the beginning of the season. And so he's had to do a lot of it. It doesn't take anything away from it. This is among the best performances we've seen from him, but I don't think it really touches some of the stuff that we saw. Think about that. What was it? That 27 game win streak they were on at one point or something crazy in Miami. They were incredible, but he did it when Wade was healthy. He did it when Wade was hurt. He's doing this now. I think he had to do it to some extent. I think that's kind of why he's doing it. Yeah, and I think um, like an important thing there is when he was in Miami, they fundamentally changed the way that like games were played. Uh, that perimeter defense they had with him and Wade, but also Chalmers. Uh, they had Bosch showing out, and Bosch was a much more active defender than like they really have on the roster right here. Um, they would change the way that like teams had to play on the perimeter in a way that like they really can't now. They've been they've been doubling a little bit more recently. 
and like some of the, those same concepts are there. But like LeBron at the peak of his like you know athleticism, like Dwayne Wade still in his prime, like it, there just wasn't anything you could do about it if they decided that they didn't want you to, to let you bring the ball past half court. Now, as the resident stat head here, I do have to put in a vote for the 2009 and 2010 versions of LeBron. If you look at some of the stats, um, box plus minus, win shares per 48, even player efficiency rating, those two seasons actually were by these kind of all-encompassing numbers at least, the best LeBron has ever played in his career. Uh, they were also... Uh, while 2013 was his most efficient season, and he's actually in the same neighborhood this year, which is incredible, uh, those were years in which he had uh, an offensive rating. This is points generated per 100 possessions. North of 120, which is crazy. That's like, you know, three-point specialists like Steve Kerr should be putting up those numbers, uh, except on like 13% of the possessions while they're on the floor. LeBron was doing it while using 34% of the possessions while he was on the floor. And so if you look at that in concert with his defensive numbers that year, and just the fact uh, he led the Cavs to 66 wins in 2009 uh, when his secondary scorers were Mo Williams, Delonte West, and then uh, Zdrunas Ilgauskas, Anderson Verjao, Booby Gibson was on that team, Ben Wallace. We're talking about just kind of dragging a roster, kicking and screaming to one of the best records really of the last you know 25-plus years uh, with, with LeBron playing that way. But I still, you know, I think it's also highly impressive this year that he's been able to do what he's done done given uh, another sort of roster in which he's had to do more like you guys mentioned and also while being this efficient uh, he's scoring 124 points per 100 possessions this year which is just a shade below his career high in 2012-13 while also having the highest assist rate of his career and the highest block rate and a bunch of other stats these shooting numbers that I mentioned at the top of the show are also just ridiculous. So I gotta say, I'm really happy to hear you make this argument. Okay. Because what we've come back to is the MVP candidacy of 2016 Russell Westbrook. Okay. Yeah. Always uh, <laughs> Kyle's preferred topic to bring things back to. But no, I mean it's it's the basic uh, it's the basic difference of what you're talking about of like just sheer sheer output of like he's just going to the rim all the time. He's uh, you know doing doing everything on the court. And, you know, dragging all the, these players along who would be in the lottery for sure without him. And they, they go to the second round to the conference finals, whatever. Sure. But, I mean, in the context of, like, a great team, like the way that uh, Steph Curry fits in, like, the, all the, basically all the Warriors fit in, uh, it's hard to produce um, numbers that, like, are still meaningful in that system. And so, like, all LeBron's output in that season, like, offensively, like, the counting stats, the box score stats, like, those are all meaningful in the team that, like, had a, what was it, 27-28 game winning streak, and were just, like, blowing teams off the court by that point in, in their tenure. And maybe the flip side of that is we've also seen research that it's easier to take a team from being kind of mediocre to being pretty good, but maybe not championship-worthy good, than it is to take a team that's already pretty good, like the Heat were, you know, if they had just had Wade and Bosh, but maybe not LeBron James, to that next level of being one of the all-time great teams, certainly a championship-type team. One, one thing I think you, you can't overlook about this stretch that he's had one of the reasons, Kyle, and I, I would probably set his earlier years apart from this, is that LeBron, when he wanted to and when he decided to just for a whole quarter, for half a quarter, guard the other guy's best man during a close game, he could just totally take somebody out of the game. I remember watching him hound Carmelo uh, in a year where a lot of people thought Carmelo maybe should have won 
MVP. Not a lot of people, but some people thought he should have won it. And I think he finished third in the voting that year. And LeBron just totally putting his foot down at, at one point. It was just unbelievable to watch. It was kind of like those National Geographic films that you watch where there's just a, a predatory animal out there and Carmelo just got swallowed up. And so in a game where Carmelo was on pace to have 40 or 50 and then LeBron just said no. And so I haven't seen him do that in stretches this year and then long stretches, but LeBron has kind of made a point to try to play harder defense because the team is missing so many of its best defensive players. Tristan's not there. Amon Shumpert uh, is not a great defender, but is one of the better ones they have. And Amon Shumpert was also running point for them after they lost Derrick Rose. And so the fact that LeBron is doing so much more, that's why this year is even in the conversation, even approximating some of the stuff that we're talking about from the previous years, because LeBron is doing some of those things. And it's really cool to see, and it's really, I have to imagine it's pretty unprecedented to see somebody doing it at this age and still with this level of athleticism, even if it's not quite the athleticism we got used to seeing from James earlier in his career, still dunking on everybody. Yeah, so on the defensive side, uh, it's actually crazy where, his on-off is terrible. Like they're they're about eleven points better uh, when he's off the floor, but then like when you look at his uh, actual on-ball numbers that we get through second spectrum, the uh, you know the expected value for everything else. In like now we can account for shooters. Uh, so meaning like who he's guarding is he guarding good players or bad? Uh, he's one of the best players in the league. Like he's allowing about forty-six percent or forty-six effective field goal percentage, uh, like on shots that he defends, and he's also like compared to how good the shots are because he's giving up pretty bad shots. Uh, like he's depressing them. And like part of this is uh, we've talked about uh, this defense stuff before where like Chris Stapps and KB and Giannis all like are the kinds of guys who like really depress shots and like because they're long, they're the wingspan players, whatever. Uh, we also forget like for as good long as we've seen LeBron and like we've seen this new you know version of player come in, LeBron's still massive and huge and like affects you in ways of just like a huge guy like leaning on you, like bearing down on you. So even if he's not clamping down all the way on you, he's still affecting shots like when he's a little bit further outside the play than he used to be. Yeah, and given uh, the defensive numbers that you mentioned where Cavalier opponents while he's on the floor are putting up, you know, pretty good offensive numbers, it might be even more remarkable that LeBron is still managing to, there's a stat called uh, player impact estimate, which is basically just the percentage of good things that a single player kind of is involved in while he's on the court. LeBron's number in that is still basically the same as it was during those 2009 and 10 and 13 seasons, which is to say he's doing about like 21 plus percent of the good stuff on the floor. And that's even tougher when the other team is doing a lot of good stuff too. So you have to think that maybe when that defense uh, settles itself and, you know, we know that LeBron is not a below average defender in, in reality, uh, that his production will look even more impressive by comparison. One thing that's going to like help him out with that is that if you remember back to when he he was a pretty bad defender when he came into the league, and then he improved on that uh, gradually. Then then all at once he just decided he's going to be a good defender this year. And what he did that year was he just started fouling all the time. And like the Seahawks that one year, and like they, they just couldn't call enough of them on him. So it was just like, oh yeah, LeBron's just going to get away with like eight defensive fouls this game, and they're not going to foul him out because he's LeBron James. We'll get uh, to superstar <laughs> foul treatment later, though. So, so like even even as he loses a step, like he's still he still gets some LeBron calls here and there, and that like that helps out like if you, it's used tactically on the defensive end. When you look at the improvement they've made, I think for a stretch, uh, maybe during this win streak as a whole, I think they've been fourth in the league in defense or something like that. When you remember a couple weeks into the season, they actually statistically 
were the worst defensive team in NBA history for, I think, the first two and a half weeks of the season uh, by like a half point or something per 100 possessions. And so a, a big part of it, Kyle touched on it, they're kind of blitzing some of these pick and rolls. It, it looks like a kid's version of what Miami used to do back in the day when it was LeBron and Wade and Bosh, but they are being more aggressive. They're one of the, the most aggressive teams in the league in terms of trapping pick and rolls. But also not having these point guards I was talking about before, it's allowed them to put bigger lineups on the floor that are still pretty rangy and long when you figure that sometimes you have to put J.R. Smith on the ball, which is where he needs to be because he gets so lost off the ball. But having to do that, they switch a pick and roll. Maybe LeBron ends up being that guy on the ball. Um, you've got Jay Crowder, who is on the ball from time to time. They've got some guys that can defend if there aren't as many liabilities in the defense. And when you take Rose out of there and stuff like that, uh, you're, you're helping that. And you're making it so that you've got all guys that are 6'8 and taller, 6'7 and taller. And that makes a pretty big difference if you've got guys that are athletic enough to be able to, to play that sort of rotation. One thing, uh, just before we got to get out of here on this, uh, like we've been talking a lot about the defense, but uh, the one thing that's propping up the offense, because early on uh, we knew that they were going to have like a, a mediocre at best offense, probably pretty bad during the regular season at least. Uh, but last season they carried it with you know just offensive excellence. And early on they had a good but not like overwhelming offense. And what's happened um, during the streak and a little bit before that is Dwayne Wade is has really picked it up. Of like he's still shooting terribly. He's, he can't really score anymore. But um, running their pick and rolls, like just running the offense, just like being a primary ball handler. Uh, this is kind of the thing that like LeBron was talking about last year, where like he was like, we really need a point guard, like for most of that season. And you you can do a lot worse than like Dwayne Wade, you know, even as he's you know getting up there, just being your primary ball handler, just setting guys up. And he's done a really good job of that. Like he's neck and neck with LeBron for efficiency on the pick and roll. Um, Really, no one shooting well off of the catch and shoot yet, uh, except for Kyle Korver. But like, as far as feeding Kyle Korver, he's right there with LeBron, and so like Wade has had like a big part to play in this. He's been legitimately good in the sense that I think guys assume that he can only be effective when LeBron's out there. He's shooting the ball way better with LeBron off the court this year. Uh, he's been legitimately good. He's been setting guys up, and for all the the scoring struggles, I guess compared to the rest of his career. Look at how he's shooting and how he's facilitating when LeBron's not there. I think his scoring basically doubles when LeBron's not on the court per 36 minutes. So he's he's doing about all you could have asked him to do. I mean, his 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 aging curve looks a lot different than LeBron's. Everybody's does. But his he's actually been a really good pickup for them, especially considering that they didn't have to trade anything for him, that they just got him through picking him up after he was waived. Yeah, late career uh, Dwayne Wade as point guard, uh, kind of an interesting thing. One of many interesting things about this team that we'll keep an eye on as we move on through the season. Definitely not the last we're going to hear of LeBron or the Cavs. But let's leave them there and move on to our main segment about the Houston Rockets. With wins in 13 of their last 14 games, it's tough to find a team in the league hotter than the Houston Rockets. The Rockets currently rank second only to the Golden State Warriors in our 538 Carmelo power ratings, and they're gaining fast. Only the Celtics have tacked on more points onto their ratings since preseason. They also rank second in the NBA in offensive efficiency, fifth in defensive rating, and they have the top scoring margin in the league on a per-possession basis. And at the center of it all has been James Harden, who continues to make his case for the MVP after after finishing second in two of the last three years. 
Harden currently leads the league in scoring. He's a close second behind Russell Westbrook for the league lead in assists per game as well. He's tops in win shares, real plus minus wins. He's tied with LeBron for number one in value over replacement. The guy is having a ridiculous year. And we talked earlier in the show about whether this was LeBron's best year. This is definitely the best we've seen of James Harden in his career yet, right? I I mean, I think it might be. But at the same time, I also think that it might just be finally a a really great roster around him and the fact that he's doing what he's kind of always done I I think they're still figuring a lot of stuff out on the fly and I think pretty much ideally at this point they are still staggering the hell out of Chris Paul's minutes with James Harden and so it's allowing him to play his game without really having to back into a corner and having to play way way off the ball for a lot of times and it's allowing Chris Paul to do the same thing as they work him into the lineup and as they try to gel those two guys together. So it's really not that different. I mean, aside from the rebounding numbers being down a little bit from last year, it's really not substantially different than last year. And you could make the argument that Harden could have and should have won the MVP once or more than once over the last couple of years. I just think at this point he might end up winning because it's a realization that he should have had it before, and he's basically doing the same thing that he's done the last couple of years. Yeah, it does seem like the MVP sometimes in the NBA is like a lifetime achievement or, you know, we felt like we need to make, have a makeup call for a previous year. That seems to happen often, I feel like. So I'm going to make the case that, um, like, Harden's been great this year, um, up and down, and, like, he's carried them, like, even without Chris Paul, even though they didn't really have to give up. Um, actually, that's not true. Like, they gave up a decent amount for Chris Paul. But, like, with Harden this year, uh, there's, like, one thing that is carrying him, um, like, his, like, efficiency, like, up from where it was to where he is now. And so, like, he's always taken a bunch of pull-up threes, and this year he's taking eight and a half per game, just pull-up, off-the-dribble threes. Last year he was at, like, almost seven, so, like, still a lot, but he shot 33% on them last year. This season he's at 41%, like, over 41%, and that on, like, a bunch of threes a game is a huge boost to your points per game, and... Like, they're a little bit better. Like, the the spacing's a little bit differently. He's not taking them just quite as, like, you know, wanton this year. But, like, still, like, that's a big jump on, like, a very, like, kind of defense-independent uh, thing. And so if that holds up, yeah, like, uh, I think Kemba shot close to 41% on those last year. Like, whatever. Uh, but it's, it's not super stable from year to year. Uh, so, like, maybe he's just going to do this all year, and he's going to be this efficient. But, like, everything else is pretty similar if not like you know exactly the same as it was last year he works alone all the time like he doesn't have other players feeding him the ball like he actually is assisted on a lower percentage percentage of his two pointers than russell westbrook is like by, by way less than lebron is and he has been for his entire career or for his entire career in houston at least so he's a dude who's just like doing it alone and like he's like it's he's impossible to guard obviously but I think that, like, a lot of this efficiency is coming from, like, this one thing that he's doing better. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it bears mentioning that Houston already is the was the greatest three-point shooting offense of all time, statistically, in NBA history. And now they've upped that even more. Uh, they're making 11% more threes per game this year than they did last year. And last year they set the all-time record. But I, I want to get back to this point that both of you guys mentioned about Chris Paul. It's kind of the elephant in the room for James Harden and Houston. One of the things before the season that 
that we kind of speculated might stand in the way of Harden's numbers or Houston's success or both was having to share the ball between those two guys who play such a similar style. And I guess for the first month of the season, it didn't matter because Paul was out and Harden was able to do his thing. But I looked at the numbers since CP3 came back. And Harden's stats are actually up since uh, the the game in which Chris Paul returned. He's averaging more points per game, uh, fewer assists per game, but more rebounds, shooting much better from the floor, just having a better plus-minus in general. And I'm wondering, is how much of that is just still staggering them? Because we do see the numbers with uh, one of them on the court without the other are much better for both of them. And the team is much better. Uh, if, if you look at NBA.com's efficiency margin, they are plus 17.5 points per 100 possessions, which is five points per 100 clear of the Warriors even, uh, when... One of the two is on the court, but the other is not. When both are on the court together, the Rockets are only plus 4.8 per 100 possessions. So that's an enormous drop-off in the team's efficiency in addition to their own numbers uh, that that take a hit when they're on the court together. Is this uh, just the nature of playing two guys with such overlapping skills together? And is this something that the Rockets need to even deal with? Can they stagger it for now and, and be able to sort of you know not have to address this? Or eventually in the play, they're going to have to play them together and they're going to have to play better together right I mean eventually that's going to have to happen I mean yes and yes to your two questions but at the same time I mean it's funny because when you're talking about a plus 4.8 per 100 in comparison or in contrast to plus 17 it sounds bad but I mean that would still leave you like a top five or top six team in the league if you were able to keep that net rating for the whole season but I mean, like like Kyle was saying, Harden, you have to go back to his time in Oklahoma City to really watch him playing off the ball a considerable amount. Even there, he was handling the ball a lot, and he's not used to doing it. And so it, it does create a lot of uh, stagnation to some extent because Chris Paul likes to hold the ball. Um, contrary to popular belief, those Clippers teams were really slow in pace a lot of the time because of how... Um, you know how much he took his time and how much that team took its time getting up and down the court. So it, it takes a while, but I think Harden has actually adjusted very well. The other thing that we didn't talk about in terms of his efficiency and how how incredible his efficiency has been is the fact that the league basically instructed officials to officiate differently and to take away all the four-point play opportunities he was getting last year that I wrote about and all the three-point fouls that he drew. He drew more three-point fouls, shooting fouls, than any team in the league last year. He personally by himself, drew more than any other team. By himself, yeah. and, and they basically cut that out. I mean, his free throws are way down, and I would say most of it is because of that. And so he's the fact that he's shooting so much better on the pull-up threes, like Kyle mentioned, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether he can hold that up. But if he keeps up what he's doing, I mean, and the fact that Chris Paul is there, I think that this is one of those things where you kind of take the hit that you need to take during the regular season to do better in the postseason. We remember James Harden, regardless of how great his stats were, regardless of how deserving he was of the MVP, just breaking down. I've never seen a star perform as poorly as he did. What was that, game six of that series against the Spurs where he just didn't come to play at all? He might have been a little injured, but you need Chris Paul there so that he can be stronger throughout the season, not have to just gut out 82 games or anything close to that. Uh, So you take the idea of them not being quite as efficient or not gelling perfectly and hope that you get there in the playoffs over time. I mean, the playoff thing is the the thing to talk about with these two, like as they're meshing up, because uh, I think this is the thing that came up in Neil's piece is, is James Harden the highest efficiency player who's had this big workload 
or is he the workhorse who has the highest efficiency? And I mean, the conventional wisdom, but like also like these new stats that we have are kind of bearing out that the workhorse tends to be the one who can like take and create and uh, make like difficult shots in playoff situations, in like uh, tight defensive situations. And like, so is Harden just like an efficient guy who is, you know, just doing the thing that he knows works a lot? And in the playoffs, that hasn't really worked out for the last, um, you know, several seasons. And, or is he a guy who just like hasn't had enough help around him? And like having these this redundancy on the court with Chris Paul is going to really help that help out with that because uh, that's another thing with the the basic net rating that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, like you can you can speed up the game, you can just like press on the one thing that works in the regular season, like when you're playing the Suns, and that's like really going to help out your your overall net rating. But uh, when the possessions do slow down, when like teams do have three, four, five games to look at what you're doing and just try to take that away. Redundancy on the court then isn't such a dirty word. Like it's something that you need built into your system, like two ball handlers that can, if you like one's just being double teamed out of the play, you can swing it around and like have someone else, you know, try to get it started. Yeah. And I also wonder what to make of the fact that really uh, when we're talking about Harden maintaining all of these numbers and kind of building on his numbers, those are in conjunction with the fact that Paul has clearly had to make more of the adjustment and more, take more of the back seat while playing on the same team as Harden than the other way around. CP3's usage and his true shooting percentage are significantly down from last year. His passes per game are down 21% from last year. Uh, And the only thing that's kind of keeping his assist rate up is that the expected value of his passes to shooters is a lot higher this year, according to Second Spectrum, than it was last year. And, uh, you know, some of that has to do with just Chris Paul is a great passer. Some of it also is Houston's offense is kind of specially designed to create really high efficiency shots. But it does seem like Paul is going through the growing pains right now of trying to work with another player that's sort of a mirror image of himself and Harden hasn't really had to make as many changes to his game uh, in in conjunction with that. The fact that the Rockets have had this strategy and and to some extent you've got the Rockets on the one hand almost like the I don't know what they're called those those drama faces where you have the the mask that is smiling and the one that's frowning or crying. I feel like you've literally got the Rockets and the Mavs the Rockets being the team that always gets a star and then the Mavs is the one that chases a star that never gets them. And as a matter of fact, you've got uh, Mark Cuban driving around Dallas, or according to Chris Broussard or whoever you want to reference there. The fact that the Rockets keep getting these stars, what a luxury to have where you have Chris Paul and you have to figure it out with Chris Paul, that being your punishment for going to go get a guy like that. And, and still, by the way, having the best record in the West over even Golden State right now. So I, I, think, I feel like they'll figure that out. Chris Paul despite his playing style being a little stagnant, I think it's very clear that you can make it work with somebody like him. Some people would say maybe you can't because of the history with the Clippers and everybody else, but I would rather take my chances having an extra star like that, even if he's a little bit redundant and banking on the fact that you'll figure it out. We saw that the Rockets probably didn't have enough to get it done last year. I'm just curious to see now. Their defense is so much better. I think we talk so much about their offense and how great their offense is. And yeah, that hasn't changed, but their defense all of a sudden, they've got a better defense statistically than the Warriors do right now. Yeah, and Harden himself actually has much better, you know, he's gone from being a laughing stock uh, a couple of years ago to, you know, maybe we wouldn't buy the real plus minus that says that he's an above average defender, if, if even only slightly, but certainly he's much closer to that, it seems like now, than he was even, you know, two, three years ago. And like you said, maybe a defensive minded Houston Rockets team uh, in comparison with the teams in the past that ranked, you know, they were 18th in defensive efficiency last year, that 
maybe that's what they need in the playoffs in order to you know potentially contend with the the Spurs and the Warriors of the world. I mean, like all that's definitely true, but like what they also need is in the playoffs. Like a lot of their shooters just have not shot as well, and um, a lot of like the playmaking just like kind of gone away. And so is just, that a like, consequence of the three point style that that they're trying to break barriers with, or just something that you know happened in in a small sample? I mean, so I th- I think it's Ryan Anderson who said that um, like he shoots way worse at home than he does on the road because like he just doesn't like shooting in that arena, which is a uh, shame if they're going to be you know definitely be getting home court <laughs> throughout yeah. the playoffs. Um, but like on Ryan Anderson, like I just want like one stupid stupid stat like to bring up. So like Chris Paul passing to shooters in the Houston offense, obviously that's going to really work out. He's doing a really good job. Um, and everyone's hitting their shots with him like at a higher rate than they are uh, when Harden passes to them. That was one of the weird things last season where when Harden would pass to a teammate, uh, the teammate actually shot worse than they did when someone else passed to him. This year when they get a pass from Chris Paul, they're shooting way better. They're still shooting a little better with uh, – they're a sh- little better than average with uh, Harden, but not much. Uh, way better with Chris Paul. But anyway, uh, Ryan Anderson, when he gets a pass from Chris Paul, takes a shot within one dribble, his effective field goal percentage on that is 110.4. Wow. And this is a stat that is theoretically scaled to be like a percentage like in the name and and should be capped at 100, but he's shooting over 100% basically. Yes. So, I mean, this is a team that has like a lot of upside on the – they might just start blowing the doors off teams at like once Chris Paul gets settled in here. I I really do – think in the end it's going to come down to whether they can defend though i mean because the thing is and and it's funny draymond green actually said this he was asked by reporters on the eve of that game that they're going to play to open the season do you how seriously do you take the rockets and if you remember uh daryl morey has kind of hinted at this that you know we're just going to try to do something no one's ever done before and just shoot as many threes as we can and beat the warriors that way Mike D'Antoni, of course, the way he's wired, he's thinking that you've got to win a game based on offense. And so he said, you know, they can score, but we're just going to try to score more than them. That's the the name of the game. And then Draymond was like, you know, I don't know how seriously you can take their new and improved defense when that's how you're talking. And then it was pretty funny that on opening night, the Rockets won a game 122 to 121 against the Warriors. That was the sort of game they won. But if you're going to play top five level defense, they're the only team in the league that is in the top five on both sides of the ball. Obviously, the Warriors are right outside that. But, I mean, they, they have new guys on this team that really do make life tougher for you. I was looking at the numbers. Um, you know, I, I made a prediction before the season started that I thought Oklahoma City would have the best defense in the league. And they're right there behind Boston and I think maybe Portland. But you look at some of the teams right around there, too, in terms of lineups and stuff like that. And Luke and Mute, and you look at what he's done. You look at P.J. Tucker. They're actually the second best defensive duo in the league in terms of defensive efficiency. I think of groups that have played more than 300 minutes together. And they're running that lineup out there with Ariza sometimes. Uh, They're running that lineup out there. Ryan Anderson has actually done a lot better defensively this year. In addition to Harden, Anderson dropped some weight, which he said has kind of helped him out. I mean, they look legitimate on defense. Uh, They were the worst team in the league last year at defending at the rim. Now they're not. They're actually a little bit better than league average there. I think there's a lot there that kind of suggests that this isn't just a fluke, but I, I do think the way that we're kind of hardwired to talk about this team is how much can they do on offense and how much better can they get on offense when really their ceiling on defense 
they had a lot more room to grow on that end just because of how bad they've been the last couple of years, especially kind of spearheaded by James Harden and all the jokes that we used to make about him. Okay, let's leave things there with the Rockets. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on them and their defense as the season goes on. And right now, let's wrap up the episode with a segment that we like to call Small Sample. This is the time of the show where we discuss an emerging trend that doesn't have a lot of data behind it, but might end up being meaningful before the year is over. And this week's Small Sample was brought to us by our producer, Katie Ferguson. She noted that Kevin Durant has been ejected three times already this year after only being tossed once in the previous 10 years. Also, LeBron and Anthony Davis were ejected last week for the first time in each of their careers. So I wanted to kind of give you guys the ultimate small sample is this just a coincidence or is this a sign of something larger in a league that has long been accused of having a star system in which star players could kind of you know jaw at the officials more uh, than the average scrub without getting tossed out is that becoming a thing of the past now or are we seeing stars kind of being uh, penalized more for behavior that would have originally they'd be able to get away with I tend to think that it's just kind of a coincidence I think LeBron's was a little strange and you could tell he was shocked that it happened. Um, these guys push the boundaries all the time. Uh, maybe, you know, it's hard to know without knowing exactly what was said if they pushed them further than what they normally do to earn those ejections. But, I mean, in KD's case, as an individual example, I tend to think to some extent that maybe he's more loose. Maybe there's a, a little bit more of a sense of entitlement having won a, a championship ring now or just a looseness that he's kind of said, you know, KD is not nice. Uh, all the off-court stuff that's kind of been odd with him the last couple of months and maybe even the last couple of years. I, I tend to think maybe with him that it might be something that he's doing differently um, and not so much the officials, that maybe he's speaking up more, maybe he's being more vocal about when he's upset and, and kind of taking it a step further. I think LeBron's was a coincidence. Uh, Anthony Davis's uh, didn't really look like something where he would have been able to stay in the game. He looked pretty angry that time. Uh, the interesting one I thought was Sean Livingston's the other night where immediately people kind of looked at it and said, uh, did it kind of look like to you that maybe the ref initiated that as opposed to Sean Livingston? And then you saw the league actually suspend the referee. I think it was Courtney Kirkland for a week um, in addition to giving Livingston the game that he got um, in addition to that. So it, it, it's, it is worth looking at, but it's, it's really hard to look at the number of ejections because if you have a brawl or if you have teams kind of go at each other Multiple guys get ejected, and those all count as individual ejections. And so it's really hard to put a firm number or a count on anything and to know whether the league is increasing the number that they're giving out. But I, I tend to think that it's just more coincidental. I don't know. It's just me. Yeah, to your point about KD becoming more of like this bad boy or embracing that image, uh, his fouls are way up. They're uh, career high on a per-minute basis. And also his technicals specifically are up from 10.6 per 82 games last year to 24.6 per 82 games this year. We're talking Boogie Cousins territory now for KD. I don't know if that's going to hold up over the season, but it is indicative of him, like you said, playing with more of a an edge or a more of a, a swagger in that department. So. I agree with all this. I think it's. Uh, I, I do think it's just like all coincidence. Like there's there's no you know grand scheme going on. But I'll, come on, if it's not, if, <laughs> if there is a league thing going on, I have a theory about why it might be. Go for it, Joel Embiid. Okay. No one in like living memory, like I can remember, like has talked as much mess as Joel talks before the game, during the game, after the game, like to reporters, to media, like at reporters, and so like eventually like. Something's gonna have to happen. Like, so this is just preempting. Like, when Joel is advancing through the playoffs on <laughs> national TV a lot more than he already is, 
and just telling players like, no, 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 we cannot have whatever this is about to be with like Joel Embiid. Like just, just like you know, get out of here with that. We'll throw you out of the game. We don't care if you're Anthony Davis. Don't care if you're Sean Livingston. Whatever. Just, just no. We're not going to have that. That's that's an interesting take. I thought you were going to say that you thought that these technicals and suspensions and ejections were up as a result of Joel Embiid. I'm like, I don't think they play Philly often enough for that to be the case. <laughs> it would be fun, though. I mean, did you see the Drummond stuff, the back and forth with Drummond, where he said, I mean, yeah, he's better, but he still can't shoot. I I don't know. You have to be an anti-Philly person or maybe just hate the Sixers to not like Joel Embiid. I mean, the guy is so entertaining, and it just makes me cross my fingers even harder that he just stays healthy. But um, it, it, that would be an interesting theory that the league is preemptively saying that we've got to kind of watch out for this guy because he's so outlandish. But I'll, I'll tell you what, he's fun. He's so much fun. What's your favorite, what's your favorite Joel trash talk so far? Uh... Oh, the Draymond tweet. I mean, the one where the one where he he basically said, you know, despite the fact that the you know the Warriors were down three one or whatever he said. I mean, it was a very clear shot at that the comeback thing where he talked about, you know, they know a comeback as well as anyone. And I was like, oh my god, just the the, the fact he is totally ruthless about who is willing to talk crap to, despite the fact that this dude has never played more than thirty one games in a season, and the fact that. I mean, they not play. Basically, the the what is it? The Marv Levy reaction to the playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Like the Sixers haven't been anywhere near the playoffs in like four or five years. So the audacity to talk the way he talks is just awesome. I mean, I hope he can back it up, but it is awesome. Yeah, and we and we should say that according to the five thirty eight model, the Sixers have a sixty six percent chance of making the playoffs. Uh, this season so far so we could very well end up with a situation like uh, you were describing Kyle where it comes down to the playoffs and Embiid's troll game gets uh, gets policed or perhaps not who knows it's so good I I kind of want Philly to slow down just a little bit because I I don't trust them enough yet to win a first round series whoever they're playing Um, so we don't know if they'll advance they're definitely talented enough too but that's asking a lot of a young group like that I need to see them play against the Cavs I need to see them play against LeBron. Um, that would just be epic. I need to see it. No, no matter how that goes, they get swept. They learn from it. It's it's a stepping stone to something bigger, probably. But if they if they actually compete, it's awesome. You know, if they somehow win that series and that kind of ends LeBron's reign, it's awesome. I just need it in my life. I also just need to see Markel Fultz play at all. Like- yes. Okay, so that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks, guys. Uh, as always, our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson, uh, and our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. We received production assistance from our intern, Daniel Levitt. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. And whatever your favorite podcasting app is, you can find us there. We're on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. You can find us in the Listen tab of the ESPN app as well. Wherever you find us, be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time.